words are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate and tease me. They won't leave in the night. Have no fear that they might desert me. All right. And with that opener, uh, uh, that, you know, I, I'm getting my uke practice in, you know, doing these openers. Uh, with that opener, I'm going to start the Diamonds, Diamonds of Reva review. And, yeah, uh, I'm going to be, again, I'm going to rely, be relying on my memory and IMDb. I'd have no sound clips. You know, it would be fun to have some sound clips from the movie, but that would be a lot more work. <laughs> and I am not the Hollywood Saloon, uh, nor uh, the Hollywood Gauntlet, for that matter. But uh, I, I'm giving you my unique take on, on the Bond films as I go through them here. All started out innocently enough with the uh, Thanksgiving-themed Bond marathon. Now we're... You know, I'm going into one of the last Connery Bond mil- movies, Diamonds Are Forever. After uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which ended on such a sour note. And this one has a great opportunity to pick up on that. And it does. It does pick up on Connery uh, as Bond, coming back as Bond, getting revenge on Blofeld and looking for him. And he comes back, and it's refreshing. It's cool. Um, he, he takes out, you know, he shows up, and he's asking all these people that know him under uh, probably uh, Agents of Spectre, I believe. And which is cool. We haven't seen that side of Bond yet. And uh, we, he goes out and he seeks out Blofeld in his lair and uh, kind of his I don't know if it was kind of like a lava mud layer of some sort. And uh, and Blofeld is played by one of the actors that was in uh, You Only Live Twice. Uh, I think one of his, one of the guys that he was looking for, uh, for an informant of sorts. And he plays him, you know, he's fine. You know, he's good in this, but the thing is, is that after we had Telly Savalas play him a certain way and to change to, to an English accent again, it was kind of odd. So I thought it was maybe too jarring. I mean, we understand, okay, he, he's gone, he's had plastic surgery or whatever, as if it could ever be that good. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, where his, you know, and he has twins in this. Which, uh, well, I'll just, that's kind of a spoiler. There's spoilers in this. <laughs> Spoil. <laughs> you know, look, this is, spo- all these are spoilers, but all these reviews, but yeah. And it's quite a different opener of him kind of getting revenge on, on Blofeld and succeeding for the most part. He throws him in the, the, the mud pit. And uh, there's no big opening stunt. 
that's what's kind of interesting. It's just Bond getting revenge on Blofeld and Connery being back, which is kind of a spectacle enough. It's pretty, even though you get the sense right away, there's some, there's a, it's a it has a campiness feel to it, which is odd. I mean, it's a guy Hamilton uh, directed this one. And he was no stranger to the franchise. I believe he might have, I think he directed another one earlier. Um, I'm not sure if this is, I don't think this is his first one. But, uh, yeah. I uh, I thought it was an interesting opener. No big stunt, just Bond getting revenge on Blofeld. So, it's great seeing Connery back. Uh, what other franchise has a, a, the main star come back after being recast? Not many. Not many. Uh, that's what makes this one an interesting part of the history of, of, of the Bond franchise. Nominated for one Oscar, two wins, and four nominations total. Crazy. Crazy. So the Oscar nomination for Best Sound... Um, Uh, Gordon K. McCollum, John, John W. Mitchell, and Al Overton. And that's about all I can see here. That's, that's what they got. Which is pretty amazing. A Bond movie being up for an Oscar. Actually winning... Two wins and four nominations total. I don't know what they didn't tell me. Tell, tell me what the wins were. Yeah, Guy Hamilton directed this one. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to the trivia. Uh, I'll just tell you the okay storyline. James Bond missions. His mission is to find out who has been smuggling diamonds, which are not reappearing. Uh, he adopts another identity in the form of Peter Franks, which is a funny name. <laughs> Such a. Uh, everyday man named Peter Franks. Uh, he, you know, it's funny. Bond never used that. He never uses that uh, secret, uh, that that identity again. I think in, he used a different name in, uh, uh, the, what was that? The one after Dr. No, the, the, the train one. Um, You know what I mean. The one where he's on the train. Jeez, Pete's is escaping me now. Of course, when, whenever you want to remember something, it doesn't come to you. He, anyway, I digress. Uh, he joins up with Tiffany Case and acts as if he is smuggling the diamonds. But everyone is hungry for these diamonds. He also has to avoid Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd, uh, the dangerous couple who do not, who do not leave anyone in their way. Uh, Ernest Stavro. Blofeld isn't out of the question. He may have changed his looks, but is he linked with the heist? And if he is, can Bond finally defeat his ultimate enemy? So these two guys, Mr. Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd, they kind of lean on these two guys heavily as like the two major antagonists that... I don't know. They have some kind of weird relationship. I guess it, it's assumed that they're a, a kind of a of a gay couple. I, I suppose. 
Um, but I don't know. It's just kind of there for shits and giggles, really. Um, but I guess the guys per- performing them, they're fine. They're okay. I mean, they they ham it up a bit. Um, they do all these deadly things to people to get them out of their way. Uh, let's see here. One of the guys says the the one with the the bald and the the long hair and the glasses his his hair looks bad in this <laughs> uh, so there's a review here it is top review somebody left uh says when it comes to james james Bond films, I watch with trepidation as I either really like them or absolutely hate them. Diamonds Are Forever falls in the former category, <laughs> although I'm not totally sure why. It's like after the serious, action, serious action-packed 60s, they decided to just calm down and relax. This is the most chilled-out and mellow Bond film there is. It has that air of coolness that only early 70s movies seem to have. Um, yeah, there's a, it's, I mean, there's a lot of cars in this movie. Uh, a lot of seventies cars. Um, it it's very of its time. Uh, it, it it's in Vegas. It takes place in Vegas, the old Vegas, which is kind of neat. Um, there is a plot of sorts, but there's no rush to get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> John Barry's score is his most jazzy and laid back. Yeah, that's true too. You feel that this this was the Bond film that most inspired uh, Tarantino. Do you think so, Mr. Wint? I do, Mr. Kidd. Uh, Connery seems... And that's one of the phrases that is Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd, they always say. They say their names and when they kind of talk back and forth. Uh, Connery seems to really enjoy bon- himself playing Bond again. Now surprisingly looking older... Than his forty, than his forty years, although he was still younger than Roger Moore, when he played Bond for the first time the following year. That's a great point. <laughs> the role seems to fit him even better than before. Uh, and it says it's a cool. Okay, it's a cool seven out of ten. Um, I'll leave my review towards the end. Uh, that's just, that is funny because Connery does seem a bit older in this one and it wasn't that it was like only what 69 was the last one this this one just came out in 71 so 69 70 71 it's only a few few years later well think about it so because before on her majesty's secret service it was probably the year before, so probably about about four years, roughly. So, okay, yeah, you can age a little bit in four years, a little bit. But he does seem a little excessively older. And it says um, he was still younger than Roger Moore when he played Bond for the first time. And Roger Moore looks pretty, you know, he looks fairly young in... Uh, and the next one, um, yeah, that's interesting. 
It really is. So let me let me go to the, the trivia. Um, budget seventy two million dollars. Grossed forty three. Oh, I want to say it close to forty four. Um, domestically. Uh, let's see here. Come on, it takes me forever to find the, the trivia, which is the best part. But it is laid back. It it you know it takes place in Vegas, and there's a lot of Vegas things going on in it. Um, there's a scene where there's some kids playing kids carnival games inside a gambling uh, facility, and <laughs> I don't know if it would go down like that. I don't know. <laughs> I asked my mom about that. I'm like, was it were casinos like that back then? And she said, uh, "No, they were not like that. <laughs> they never had kids in them. They're not. They weren't allowed. But mom, maybe these days they they are. Uh, you, you can get a kid in, into a a casino somehow. Um, um." Jill St. John was Tiffany Case. She was the Bond girl in this. She's kind of a sassy, feisty uh, Bond woman that keeps kind of, uh, you're not sure whether she's working with him or she's betraying him throughout the movie. She's trying to get the diamonds throughout the whole thing. Um, she was all right. She's, she was fine. I didn't have, you know, her her hair was kind of curly and, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd like, uh, I'm not into the curly bigger hair look. I, I, I guess I always like the longer-haired women, whether that's curly or straight. Let me see. There we go, trivia. Just had me rate the movie. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Here we go. This is an interesting one. Right off the bat, during a late 1990s air, airing of the movie, the late 90s airing on TBS Dinner and a Movie, Bruce Glover recalled that while filming their scenes together, he and Puttersmith had Sir Sean Connery convinced that the two were actually openly homosexual. Glover added that a few few years later, while on an airline flight, he was flirting with a female flight attendant and suddenly heard a Scottish-accented voice saying, You son of a bitch! (laughs) Glover turned around and saw the man was Connery. Did it! (laughs) Uh, Okay. I don't not quite sure where that went, but okay. Um because of Sir Sean Connery's high fee, uh the I like it they keep throwing in Sir Sir Sean Connery, uh the special effects budget was significantly scaled back. Ah sorry guys, I'm just kinda getting over a cold. Um Connery was reportedly paid one hundred twenty-five. Uh, no, a million. 
just over a million. I'd say, let's just put it that way, just over a million. Um, to return as James Bond, a figure unheard of in those days. Well, they really needed him because uh, La- uh, Lazenby uh, didn't want to, he, he figured the role, you know, Bond was just about over. Um, so they they're, they didn't have much choice, I guess. Uh, let's see. Mashed potatoes were used to replicate get the consistency of the brown substance mud bath featured in the opening teaser. Uh, what the producers failed to take into account was that after 24 hours and under all the hot lights, mashed potatoes emit an almost unbearable smell. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> Oh, what you learn on movie making. Uh, uh, Sir Sean Connery made the most of his time on location in Las Vegas. I didn't get any sleep at all. We shot every night. I cut all the shows and played golf all day. On the weekend, I collapsed. Boy, did I collapse. Like a skull with legs. He also played the slot machines. And once delayed a scene because he was collecting his winnings. Well, one does. <laughs> it's like, well, you get back to the movie, you go stop gambling and get back to, we got to get the time is money, you know. Um, during Bond's briefing with them at the beginning, uh, M refers to Bond having just been on holiday and later quipped how the service had managed well during Bond's absence. That's hilarious. See, this is I caught on to this. This is good. These were inside jokes re- referring to Sir Sean Connery's absence on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That was pretty awesome. Quite enjoyed that inside joke. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Um, reportedly, the final scene Sir Sean Connery filmed as Bond, at least in the official films franchise, was the one in which the uh, unconscious Bond is loaded into a coffin at the funeral home. So Connery's last day of playing James Bond for Ian Productions was Friday, August 13th, 1971. But he will be back unofficially in Never Say Never Again. Um, interesting, though. His final scene was uh, in a coffin... <laughs> at the funeral. So that's one hell of a way for Bond, you know, to play Bond one last time in the official canon. Um, that's that's kind of interesting. Uh, weird coincidence. Uh, anyway. There's a scene. There's a couple scenes that stand out. One of the scenes is that, you know, he's he's in he's in this gray suit most of the most of the of the of the movie, and he fights a lot in his suit, and he's fighting these women, and these women with like these gymnast women, with these huge legs, and they're like kicking his butt all over the place, and they're like uh, swinging from bars and things like that. 
And uh, that was interesting because we, we hadn't quite seen that before in a movie, and especially in a Bond film. So I thought that was a good one. Um, there's a lot of driving. <laughs> I think they could have cut the unnecessary driving. Uh, there's a lot of looking at cars. Uh, there's a... But they're nice, the, the vintage 70s cars, you know, if you're into that. And um, it gives the movie a certain aesthetic of its time. And uh, the scene where he's he gets... He gets onto some set where they're filming, like, uh, the moon, like, uh, uh, filming, like, astronauts on the moon, and there's this little uh, rover kind of set up, and he gets inside of it, and it actually works, and he, he breaks out of the set, and he's kind of going around in the desert in this goofy thing. <laughs> and it's, like, it, it's kind of a zany little, uh, you know, part of the movie, and there's also a part where he's on a, like a three wheeler or, or something like that, and these three, but these three wheelers don't go very fast. <laughs> they don't seem to go that fast, <laughs> and everyone's chasing after each other, and it's like uh, they're going like three miles an hour. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a bit, but that's how they you get the feeling they go they don't go that fast. Um, so the set pieces and the action parts aren't the big main things about this movie. Uh, there's a good scene, though, whether that's, that's probably done on soundstage, where he's kind of, uh, he's got a hook, a grappling hook, uh, onto a building uh, from, from a window, and he's got to kind of, like, hang from it and climb up it up that ledge while he's he's totally hanging dangling off it even though it's not done in a super wide shot um like let's say like you know a bond movie like uh, if they're going for a major stunt scene would be it's still it still does the job it's still kind of like gives you that oh boy that's that's some uh yeah that's that's why you get paid you'd get paid the big bucks, if you were Bond, I guess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so that was a good one. That stood out. Um, and then the, there's a whole ending where they're on, uh, like, an oil rig. And that's where he meets Blofeld again. And, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of... There is some, like... Uh, some planes show up and they start bombing and stuff, but there's a lot of cheesy explosions, like some bad special effects uh, for these explosions. They look like video game explosions. Like, even for back then, I'm, I'm like, I wasn't... It just it was bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he you know, he's at the end. He shows up and he, it's Blofeld. It was kind of behind the th whole thing. And, but Blofeld has twins... Uh, twin versions of him, and he's got to decide which one is the real one because he killed Blofeld in the beginning. He put him down the the mud uh, the mud trap or whatever, which is kind of a funny scene. Um, but that was, I guess, his his twin that he made or, or something like that. It, you know, it's getting pretty silly there, and I think some of that silliness it kind of 
takes away from the importance of the last movie where it, it's such a heavy, you know, death of his wife. And it's like, it just makes Blofeld kind of a silly, cartoony villain again, which I thought, it's like they should have kind of kept the momentum of Telly Savalas. I think they should have kept Telly Savalas for this one too. But I think the tone of the movie would have changed to more serious tone, you know, for sure. I think it would have been a little bit more memorable, memorable too. I, I think the actor that plays Blofeld in this does a decent job, but it just seems so jarring to go from that performance to this one where it's just a bit more hammy. It's not Donald Pleasance. It's just, you know, I don't. you have to kind of see it for yourself. Um, this is the second of three James Bond title songs. Uh, sung by Dame Shirley Bassey. The others being Goldfinger, which is fantastic, and Moonraker. She also sang a version of Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I heard is pretty good. Uh, song for Thunderball, uh, which was not used. To date, Bassey is the only singer to have performed a Bond title song more than once. Sir Sean Connery dated Jill St. John and uh, Lana, Lana Wood during production. I'm trying to remember which one was Lana Wood. But Jill St. John was the uh, Bond girl in this one, the redhead. Uh, when Lana Wood was cast as Plenty O'Toole, love that, uh, she was told early on that the scene where she is thrown out, oh, yeah, I remember this girl, yeah, right, of Bond's hotel room and lands in the pool required the stunt team to throw her into the pool, basically naked. Uh, but she was assured that no one outside of the, of the crew uh, would see her undressed in public. Uh, besides, the scene would be shot at night. Unfortunately for her, for her the scene was shot in Las Vegas, <laughs> And and she was noted most of the people in Vegas were up at night. <laughs> so controversy. Uh, so contrary to what the filmmakers had pr- uh, promised her, uh, she had to endure countless people watching her emerge from a pool, soaking wet, cl- clad in nothing but flimsy see-through underwear, and high heels from their hotel rooms. Yeah, she was pretty smoking hot. Uh, she's got the straight hair. I think she's got like dark. Uh, I think she's a brunette in this one. And uh, she's in it for a bit that Bond uh, takes her to, uh, I think she, yeah, I think that there's a scene where Bond wins at roulette and and she's like, oh, that's really good. And so she's, she's t- you know, she's taken uh, by him because he's winning and he, you know, they go to a hotel um, room and then he he encounters, um, what's her name, Jill St. John, and the other Bond girl, I believe, and some thugs or something like that. So, yeah, the Peter Franks thing was kind of funny. There's a good scene where he's fighting in a in a lift. One of those elevators where it doesn't have the wall, and it's just one of like those European elevators where it's just you know you open and shut the uh, the gates on it, and you can see everyone can see you inside the elevator. It's you, I don't think they really make those anymore. Maybe 
in Europe, they, they still have them. Um, but there's a neat fight scene in one of those. Uh, back and forth fight. I mean, Connery always sells the fights really well. Um, yeah, especially, it was in, an, in, you know, in a confined space. Um, just like in, you know, that that train movie with him. <laughs> Which I can't uh, think of the name of uh, right now. Terrible. Uh, Bond's escape through a moon landing movie set refers to the popular conspiracy theory of the time that the real moon landings were faked. Yeah, that's what I thought about this. Yeah. Uh, the scene was filmed in a John's Manville gyps- gypsum plant located just outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. During filming, the moon buggy wheels kept falling off. In one scene where a car turns over, you can see one of the wheels that had broken off the buggy rolling in the foreground. The moon buggy uh, was discovered rotting in a farmer's field in Kent Aww. in the early 1990s and completely restored in 1993, that's good, by the James Bond International Fan Club. In 2004, it was auctioned at Christie's and purchased by Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas for $44,000. That's pretty cool. Piece of movie history. Uh, Yeah, but... uh, uh, I was just going to say... That's what I figured. They were faking, you know, they were kind of, that was kind of uh, referring to that. Um, Dang it, there's just, there was another scene I was going to talk about that I thought it was interesting. I had it, then I lost it. Uh, Maybe it'll come back to me. Oh, this is interesting. The original plot had uh, Gert Frobe. Uh, maybe or Froby, uh, I think something like that. Returning as uh, Eric Goldfinger's twin, twin from Goldfinger. Interesting. Seeking revenge for the death of his brother. This character was a Swedish billionaire with a laser mounted on a super tanker. <laughs> That's interesting. The original plot had that. Okay. Director Guy Hamilton didn't like big American cars and took particular delight in trashing them in the, mo- in the movie's numerous car chase scenes. Yeah, there's there's a, a cop chase scene. The cops are chasing them through the streets of uh, Vegas, and they're just they're trying to make all these turns in these parking lots, and they end up crashing real bad. And uh, there's a decent scene, you know, where uh, Bond goes up a ramp over some a bunch of cars in the parking lot. And uh, that's okay. It works. But it's nothing too spectacular. Um but yeah, a lot of cars, big blocky boat cars getting messed up here. George Lazenby was asked to make a second Bond movie but declined due to a lengthy and restrictive po- uh, potential contract. Burt Reynolds was the original choice to replace him. That's wild. But was unavailable. Uh, John Gavin had signed to play Bond in this movie. 
and had recently played the French spy OSS 117, the Euro, Euro spy flick OSS 117 murder for sale. Adam West turned down the role because he felt that James Bond should be a British actor. Yeah, I agree with that. Good job, Adam, because I... He, Definitely. It, it's too weird to have an American play a British uh, role like that. that. That kind of role. Like, wow. Michael Gambon turned down uh, the role because he was in terrible shape. <laughs> because he was in terrible shape and had tits like a woman at the last minute. <laughs> what it says in quotes and had tits like a woman <laughs> I could I could hear this guy saying that I'm in terrible shape and I have tits like a woman I can't play this part <laughs> the last minute at the last minute Sir Sean Connery agreed to return his uh, bond for the sixth time in a two picture deal at an astronomical salary <laughs> for the time. Uh, Albert R. Broccoli uh, insisted that Gavin be paid the full salary for which his contract called. Um, yeah, there's just so much trivia. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I'm, this is just a quarter of the trivia, folks, for this movie. Uh once again, I will tell you that Connery loves pink stuff. He loves wearing the pink stuff. He, he, he dons a pink tie in this. But, you know, he pulls it off. He's Connery. He's Bond. I, I guess if anyone's going to wear pink, I guess it's, it was Connery as Bond, you know. I wish I could remember that part I was going to try to talk about. Ugh, I had it, then I lost it. Yeah, but it is laid back. It's it. There aren't really big set piece stunts in it. It doesn't have a building momentum really. There's just a lot of back and forth with this diamonds. Uh, the first half of it, like who has the diamonds, um, who who wants the diamonds? Oh, I remember now. I remember. There's a funny scene where. Bond is posing as somebody that works in a lab. And one of the guys that plays the like the manager of that lab he, 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 he's he kinda he's he's bickering with Connery because Connery's just kinda trying to fit in and saying something kind of uh sciencey. But the guy says, uh he's like, What you what are you doing? Will you get out of here, you annoying man? <laughs> And it was just, it was such a funny moment to see Bond just being, given the smackdown for being some annoying guy. <laughs> you have to kind of see it for yourself, but it stands out as a, either an unintentionally over, overly funny scene or just kind of a, an awkward scene, but it's, yeah, it's good. Let's see here. This is kind of funny. Uh, when director Guy Hamilton couldn't remember a name, he would call it uh, Herger Shamir. 
hence the appearance of a doctor named Hergerschmier in this movie uh, as an in-joke from screenwriter uh, Tom Mankiewicz. Tom Mankiewicz, he wrote a lot of these uh, Bond movies, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why they have a kind of a consistency to the storytelling and the mythos and, and every, I think he knew the character really well and what worked and what didn't and, you know, for what actor and how to write the lines for that. Because there's a lot of good, if you watch any of the uh, making ofs or behind the scenes of, of these Bond movies, he's always, they always get him and they always interview him and he'll always tell you uh, what works about the Bond. Like he's really good like at knowing how, what makes the character tick and what makes the movie work so well. Um, you can tell he was passionate about it. I don't know if he's still around today. I don't, I don't think so, but if he is, God bless him. Oh, here we go. Uh, Charles Gray, Ernest Stavro Blofeld, played a Bond ally called Henderson, and you only move twice. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Um... He played an American diplomat in You Only Live Twice. Oh, David Bauer did as Morton Slumber. So you have, you have some reappearing actors in this. Um, instead of building their own oil rig, the production team hired a semi-portable one for $40,000 a day. Wow. Customized it and then towed it to a location off the Southern California coast. Damn, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. Jeez. And I'll say that again. Instead of building their own oil rig, the production team hired a small portable one for $40,000 a day, uh, customized it, and towed it. That's a lot to tow. <laughs> In the water, uh, to a location off Southern Cal the Southern California coast. That's that's a that's a big big thing to do. Oh, here we go. Yeah, you didn't have Bond's signature car in this. Uh, it says since the car chase in Las Vegas would have many crashes, the filmmakers had an arrangement with Ford to use their vehicles. Ford's only demand was that Sir Sean Connery had to drive in the 1971 Mustang Mach 1 that served as Tiffany's chase car. Um, Tiffany's house belonged to Kirk Douglas. Um, yeah, this is one of the few Bond movies that take take place in America, and it's it, 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 they are in America as opposed to like being on a set. So I appreciated that. You know, Goldfinger was supposed to take place in Kentucky, but I don't think Connery was in the U.S. for most of those scenes, if any, in, Gold, in Goldfinger. Until Spectre, 19, in, sorry, until Spectre in 2015, this was the last James Bond movie made by Ian Productions to officially use Spectre, the Spectre criminal organization, or the villain character, Ernest Stavro. Uh, now, 
yeah, here, they, I was going to say, they're kind of wrong, though. Because in For Your Eyes Only, you see Blofeld. Roger Moore's For Your Eyes. You see, Blofeld is seen, but not identified in... Oh, he's not. you just see the back of him. But not identified in For Your Eyes Only. As Eon's arrangements with the Ian Fleming estate at the time did not permit them to use McClory's works. Um, the McClory penned an unofficial Bond movie, Never Say Never Again, 1983, made use of Blofeld and Spectre as it was a remake of Thunderball. Interesting. It says here, after this movie, writer Kevin McClory's legal action team against Ian Fleming state that he had, and not Fleming had created the organization for the novel Thunderball was upheld by the courts. Hence, why Blofeld is seen and not identified in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, I mean, that's what's amazing about these Bond movies. It's like, it's like a, it's a, it's a course in movies and the business of movies too. I think there's a lot to be learned from all this behind the scenes stuff. It's just really neat as a, as a film, film guy, you know, So let's see, I'll do one couple more here. After the disappointing box office after the disappointing box office performance of Her Majesty's Secret Service in the US, although it hit it was a hit in other parts of the of the world, the producers of this movie went all out to win back American audiences. This partly explains why the bulk of the film is set in the US, especially Las Vegas. And because much of Ian Fleming's source material takes place in Las Vegas or in the surrounding desert, many of the Bond, James Bond movies have been known to have cast and crew, crew, the cast and crew participate in some high-stakes gambling. Uh, shooting this movie in the Vegas casinos, however, was only permitted from the hours of 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Wow, that's not a lot. Strangely, the name Las Vegas is never spoken in this movie. Yeah, that is kind of funny. But you only got, that's only three hours. Let's see, permitted from the hours of 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Whoa. I mean, that's nothing. That's like you cough and those hours are over. Because like, think about how much time it takes to set up the lights and to get every, the sound and get everything ready, all the actors ready and every everybody, the camera set up, it takes at least, I mean, you got to really know what the hell you're doing to get, that's going to take an hour at, at the bare minimum to get set up. And then you got to shoot the scenes. You got an hour, which will go, go so fast, the blinking of, a, of an eye. Then you got to kind of wrap it up at least the last 45 minutes. So maybe you got an hour and a half tops to actually do shooting. Unless the people that are doing that really, uh, they, they must really have to had it planned out and they were on, on top of their game, which they might have been. Ah, this is something I always point out. 
final Bond movie in which he is seen wearing a hat during the gun barrel sequence. Yeah, all of Connery's, he has the hat on in the big gun barrel sequence. I thought maybe one, there's one where he didn't, but I was wrong. He has the hat on in each, every one of them. Uh, see, that's a funny thing to to learn. I like that. Let's see. When Sir Roger Moore, another another Sir, when Sir Roger Moore took over the role in Live and Let Die, the sequence was filmed with Moore without wearing a hat, a tradition that continued with every subsequent Bond movie. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I'm looking forward to watching the next one again. Uh, the outdoor elevator scenes were shot at a now-demolished landmark casino. Upon this release, uh, um, the movie broke Hollywood's three-day gross record. Um, Sir Paul McCartney was the first choice to write the title song for this movie, but this did not happen until Live and Let Die. And there's just so much more to talk about. I'm going to tell you, though. Ooh, here we go. This is interesting. Um, Miss Moneypenny was almost recast for this movie as Lois Maxwell's agent held out for more money. Maxwell was was disgruntled that several days uh, working on each Bond movie disrupted her career. Interesting. Despite being the main henchmen of the movie, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd never share a scene with Blofeld. That is kind of weird. You think they would have one scene with the guy where he's telling them what to do. Sir Roger Moore was offered the role of James Bond here, but he was unavailable due to his commitment to the Persuaders, 1971. Interesting. Interesting how things kind of work out or don't work out and when they actually come together. I know they, they approached uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the one before Pierce Brosnan. Um Timothy Dalton, uh, pretty early, and but he was too young. He was too young at the time. But it's interesting that they had kept a kept an eye on on him so early in in, in uh, at the franchise. So there you go. That's Diamonds Are Forever. My review. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. I think it's good. I think it's kind of. It's not. I don't think it's a great one. But I don't think it's a bad one. I, I think it does the job. I think it missed... I think the reason why I give it a 7 is because it missed a big opportunity. Although they do have... I mean, Blofeld is the main dude in it, which is fine. But I think they kind of missed missed it through the tone. I think the tone needed to stay kind of slightly more serious because of the last movie. And I think Bond needed to be, at least in the beginning, a little bit more like uh, Daniel Craig was in, uh, you know, um, after uh, uh, Vespa died and uh, Casino Royale, you know. But 
you know, hey, it, it was Bond. It was the early 70s. It was um, a bit, still a bit silly. I guess there had been a lot of Bond clones at the time. And uh, so, again, it's kind of a movie of its time. And it is weird that Bond seemed so much older when not that much time had passed. But it was great seeing him back. Uh, there's some things that work about the movie, but then there's some things... I think it lacks a sense of urgency. And I, and I think since we were so used to that in a lot of the earlier movies, um, that it feels a little... It's a little jarring that way. But it's overall, it's not a bad movie. It's entertaining. But it's just not quite as exciting. And I think it has to do with the pacing. Because um, there are big set pieces in it. There are stunts in it. They're scattered throughout it. But I think it's the way the story is being told and the pace of it. It's just kind of, uh, it comes and goes. That's that's what it is. But uh, it's too bad this wasn't a stronger entry. This being like one of his, this being the last one of his official canon Bond movies. And then I mean he'll be back and never say never again, which is I think it's a lot more fun than this one. Um, but uh, it's still it's still worth watching. I like the I like the the song in it. Um, it does some it has some scenes that are memorable. That moon uh, buggy thing in the desert is pretty silly. Um, but yeah, there you go. Enjoy, and I'll see you back here and. Uh, uh, live and let die. Live and let die. And the first Roger Moore reviewed pod from the Ham Palace. <laughs>